Thank you to Audrey for last week for hosting us, for being your generous bodhisattva self. Uh, I listened to Wendy's talk and I had a pang of not being there. Um, and she has a pang. She texted me this morning from Santa Fe from the Varela Symposium where she is and she's sending us her love and greetings. It's a wonderful symposium. It's all online too. You can register if you like. Just go to the Upaya site. So I wanted to start with a little poem that comes from Standing at the Edge. It's called Birdfoot's Grandpa. The old man must have stopped our car two dozen times to climb out and gather into his hands the small toads blinded by our light, leaping into live drops of rain. The rain was falling, a mist about his white hair, and I kept saying, you can't save them all. Accept it. Get back in. We've got places to go. But the leathery hands full of wet brown life, knee-deep in the summer roadside grass, he just smiled and said, they have places to go too. This is the poem from the first chapter on altruism in Roshi Halifax's book, Standing at the Edge. She tells us it's a good example of a living bodhisattva, someone who freely saves all beings from suffering. Grandpa continues stopping to rescue those toads, though it means scrambling along the rainy, dark road. Smiling, he seems to be experiencing what many Buddhists call altruistic joy, sympathetic joy joy in the good fortune of others, a truly nourishing quality of mind. If you don't already receive the email that Claire sends out episodically, you would really enjoy seeing this quality of mind that appears in the photographs and the words that she sends to us. It's a sympathetic joy that arises with the world. It's really nice to have you here, Claire. Thank you. Roshi Joan goes on to explain altruism as this act of selflessness, something benefiting others, free of expectation of an external world or reward, and even free 
of an internal reward like increased self-esteem or better emotional health. Suzuki Roshi called it no gaining idea. Joan tells us how stories of everyday occurrences in which human beings just like us and some rather extraordinary, maybe not quite like us, giving of themselves in ways that can arise spontaneously, unconditionally, in response to the suffering of others. Because this selfless concern for the welfare of others is actually our true nature. David Hinton opens his book, We Love the World, This Living Planet. We feel joy when life thrives, grief when it suffers and dies. This is our true nature. Mm-hmm. I'm going to mute you all. Here's one of her stories of an extraordinary altruistic event. There are plenty of other examples of not so extraordinary, but I haven't been able to not think about this one since I read it. In 2007, Wesley Autry, a construction worker, jumped into the New York City subway tracks to save Cameron Hollapetter, a film student who was having a seizure and had fallen from the platform onto the tracks. Autry saw the oncoming train and leapt down to haul Hollapetter out of the way but the train was coming too fast. So Autry threw himself over Hollapetter in the foot-deep drainage trench between the tracks. As he held down the seizing man, the train passed over them both, grazing the top of Autry's knit cap. No thought to self, just an unmediated impulse to save a fellow human's life. Later, Autry seemed bewildered by all the attention and praise he received. He told the New York Times, I don't feel like I did something spectacular. I just saw someone who needed help. I did what I felt was right. (laughs) Yeah, I wonder how many of us could jump onto those tracks, not thinking about getting killed, I guess. We love the world. We love the planet. We feel joy when life thrives, grief when it suffers and dies, when it's in trouble, when it ceases up and falls off the tracks. The Halifax book tells us that through contemplative practice and ethical living, we can resist our pull of selfishness and come come back to this place inside ourselves that loves all beings, 
holds everything in equal regard. This place that fearlessly aspires to end suffering and is free of prejudice and bias. Hinton's book is so important because what he does is explain in some ways our stuckness in thinking we are separate, our bias that has caused so much suffering and is at the root of climate disruption and collapse. It's this idea of us not being kinship with all other beings. This idea which he traces back to being the basis of life in Paleolithic times when hunters and gatherers roamed the earth and didn't think of themselves as different from what they were seeing and eating and sharing along the way. And this is a critical teaching for us as we remember to open ourselves to greater consciousness and action in this practice of climate dharma. As I listened to Wendy last week introducing Standing at the Edge, I was touched by the richness, the wild ecology of her mind her multidisciplinary, multidimensional knowledge, plants, of places, of seasonal events, of Zen teachers and students, heroic bodhisattva farmers, sacred ceremonies, and words saved and savored in one of her many notebooks where she records assiduous notes and glimmers of her inspired reflections. Really, it's quite astounding to listen to those talks. She's in Santa Fe, as I said, right now. And I thought about, as I heard her talk, that she was looking forward to the nourishment of that symposium, to the nourishment of being with others, who are going to be talking about these issues. So she was already in a way ahead there and maybe didn't say why we had decided to just pause before diving into the Hinton book and starting instead with Standing at the Edge. We felt the importance of focusing on these five edge states altruism, empathy, integrity, respect, and engagement. To call those forward as we face into the serious complexities, the life-threatening challenges of climate catastrophe and the sixth extinction, what David Hinton calls the possible great vanishing. But then he dives deep into reestablishing our kinship with all beings. To feel the exhilaration and awe when we see a majestic orca 
leaping joyfully, playing and twisting out of the water, crashing back down, celebrating, defiantly shouting, I am here, I am me. Our joy, all the world, our family we love. But the whale, despite enormous stress and danger, still struggling, struggling to have offspring, to give new life, despite the enormous propellers and crowded ship lanes that the whales are all trying to live in at this time. He recalls the grief and the anger, the despair of seeing a baby orca born some years ago and then dying soon after birth. Those videos we probably all saw of how the mother carried it on her nose for 17 days, carrying it above the water, hoping it would breathe, hoping it would somehow, somehow come back to life. Then other orcas taking over the task to let the mother rest. But eventually both mother and child vanished. Heartbreaking. Devastating. The possible great vanishing. A counterpoint to Joanna Macy's The Great Turning. We love the world, this planet. We feel joy when life thrives, grief when it suffers and dies. But as the great Sufi poet Rumi says in one of my favorite little poems, come, come, whoever you are, wanderer, worshiper, lover of leaving, it doesn't matter. Ours is not a caravan of despair. Come, even if you have broken your vow a hundred times. Come, come again. Come. These edge states ask us to come. They are our assets of mind and heart that exemplify our caring, our connection, our virtue and our strength. It's our Buddha nature that brings us forward to come, come, come again. And through this contemplative kind of practice and ethical living, we can resist the pull of selfishness. We can come home to the place inside us that loves all beings, that holds everyone in equal regard. 
place that fearlessly aspires to end suffering, free of prejudice, biases. Loves all beings, not just human beings, not just the beings we see as our immediate helpers and supporters of a comfy life. All beings, including bees and butterflies, and also desperate people living in the encampments on the sides of our highways and streets. That huge entanglement of life forms living on that plastic floating mountain that we delude ourselves into thinking we've gotten rid of by throwing it all away. But now, indestructible in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. This actually means loving all beings who are at this very moment. Even these people changing the Clean Water Act yesterday to weaken the protection of our waterways. Somehow we have to find a way to love them into awakening too. Living ethically, courageously, in ways that generate and regenerate and restore trust, creative commitments to saving and serving our life. To trust in our own heart. To trust, trust as we heard in Everyday Zen in a wonderful talk by Kathy Fisher this last year. Trust, trust. To see the basic goodness in all beings, the nobility, the sacredness. To save all the toads on the road they have places to go to. So thank you. Good morning to all. What toads have you saved lately? What ways of being How are you proceeding with sympathetic joy? Questions like this restore us, point us back towards a life with ethical guidance. with an energy of giving life to what needs life. 